welcome to the Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Miller. I'm a stroke survivor and grateful recovering alcoholic. And yes, I googled it. It is not a hostess. I am a host. So there you have it. Uh, Today, my topic is setting boundaries for stability. And um, I did lots of research on setting boundaries. And um, most of the articles that I was listening to were talking about setting boundaries as, you know, just as a human being, not necessarily in recovery. And um, so I'm going to try to remain focused on setting boundaries and recovery and this is important to me something that i've been going through and so i'm certain lots of people in recovery can relate to this whether it is recovery from alcoholism or recovery from a stroke um, or anything else when we're in recovery there is a change happening with us Um, whether there's a new normal that we're trying to adapt to or we've got some temporary challenges that we need to work through until we uh, recover fully. So setting boundaries is about teaching people how to have a relationship with me throughout the duration of what I'm going through, whether it is short-term, long-term, or permanently. So in order to implement a lot of this stuff that I've been talking about with self-love, self-respect, positive self-talk, and so on, um, setting boundaries is a requirement for sure. And it's a way to defend your recovery so that you're not in this like constant state of stress and uncertainty, making sure like, oh, well, I hope they understand that I can't do this and I can't do that. And, um, and I think boundaries tend to, when you think of the idea of boundaries, for me, I tend to think negatively immediately about that word. Like, it's almost like I'm setting up a wall or I'm setting up uh, obstacles so that to keep something away from me. And boundaries is really just another way of communicating to our loved ones. And so boundaries say, I love myself. Um, enough to protect myself, protect my health, protect my recovery. It also is a way of communicating to others that my word means something. You know, if I communicate, I can't do that. Um, I need to stick to it. And that way other people understand that when I say something, I mean it. You know, it's almost like when you say no to your child and then they say, please, 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 and then you say yes. Um, 
Well, then they know that they can just keep bending you until you break. And so um, boundaries and practicing them is a way of communicating to adults around us, to people in our environment that um, this is as far as I can go and I can't go any further. And I mean it. And then um, also there is um, this acceptance that I need to practice uh, when somebody else who loves me um, helps me set boundaries. And over the past two years that I've been going through this denial that, oh, it's not that bad, you know, I had a stroke, I've just got a little headache, you know, it's not that bad. I was not, I was just, I mean, I see it now. I see it clearly now. I just had no um, self-love. I wasn't doing anything to protect my health. And um, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy to think back because I'm thinking of all these people that are saying, you really need to slow down. You need to, um, you know, take care of yourself and I just wasn't doing it. It didn't matter what anybody told me. <coughs> Excuse me. I think that's my first cough on the podcast. Um, so it's just, it's amazing to look back and see how much I was just disregarding my health and taking care of myself. So um, my boyfriend has been really instrumental in helping me build boundaries during this time. I mean, instrumental because, um, well, he knows me so well. We've been together for like 18 years. Um, and he know he's really so observant and can tell what at this point bothers me and what doesn't almost more than I think I notice what bothers me and what doesn't. I think he reads my my body language, and I think, um, you know, because I'll close my eyes, I'll kind of squint my head if I get like a sharp pain, and then I'll just, okay, it's gone, and I'll start doing whatever it was I was doing, and, and I think he he has probably some sort of mental check on, okay, what she was doing made her hurt, so let's set a boundary there. Um, so having somebody in your life like that is, um, is just, uh, I'm speechless about it, really. It's, you're not on your own, you know, you don't have to draw those boundaries by yourself. It's been incredible for me to have that kind of support. Um, so boundaries can only be built if you first recognize that you deserve a comfortable environment and you deserve stability. And stability, when I think of the word stability, um, it has looked, that word has looked different all throughout my life, what stability looks like. Um, there was a time when my children were really, really small and Stability was all about finances and 
making sure that I was able to, um, you know, to feed them and get the diapers and, and have gas in my car and all of that stuff. That's what stability was back then. Stability when I was an active alcoholic was making sure that I was able to get alcohol by any means necessary. That's what stability was in my active alcoholism. To today, stability for me is it are, are the steps of my sobriety program. That's what stability is for me. Um, it's making sure that I have what I call a higher power, um, and that I have a fellowship and that I take care of my basic needs, these things that I've talked about in previous podcasts. So what do we need to build a stable foundation in recovery? So I put together five things that I think are important to building a stable foundation. Um, things that I've recognized as I've been doing all of this, uh, as I've been living day to day, trying to figure it out, um, and, and hopefully pave the way for other people that, that could use some support and, um, you know, share my experience and hopefully somebody else can, can write what I did wrong and, um, and do it better next time. So anyway, uh, number one, building a stable foundation, a routine, having a routine. I mentioned yesterday about my friend said, you do that every day. You do the same thing every day. And I, and I'm like, yeah, I have to do, I have to, uh, have these habits. Um, it's stability for me. So I have my my schedule that I talk about all the time. And, um, and I do pretty well keeping to that schedule. It's really been um, helpful for me to shift into that mindset of even though I'm, I'm not working and I can do, you know, whatever the hell I want within the, within these four walls, uh, that I, am still following some sort of routine. So that gives me stability. Uh, an extended support network gives me stability. Um, I had mentioned last month that I was able to call into a stroke support group and I was so happy about it and I was really bummed that because the notification came in my email and I stay away from my email for the sake of my head, I missed it. So I missed this month's stroke recovery uh, support group. I was really, I'm still really bummed about it. Like so bummed that I'm like, I have agitation that's surfacing and I'm trying to like, um, I don't know, what I need to do is find a solution. So. I did send a message to the coordinator to see if there's some other way that I could be notified because I have this vision issue. Um, and I don't know that I've received, the last I checked, I didn't receive a message back yet. So we'll see. I really want to be a part of that because 
being able to extend my support network for uh, stroke recovery, I think is going to really be helpful to toss ideas and feelings uh, off other people that are experiencing the same kind of symptoms and stuff that I am. Uh, the third thing I have for building a stable foundation is setting boundaries, which we're going to talk more about. And four, medication management. And so medication management really uh, came to the forefront right at the beginning of me putting down the drink because I had uh, underlying issues as far as anxiety. I was unstable. <laughs> I was unstable. So we just kept trying to get the medications right um, until I started feeling good. I started feeling like I think people are supposed to feel. And I wasn't able to do that when I was drinking. My medication wasn't working. So Medication management was really important in my at the beginning of my sobriety and still is. I'm always very much on top of making sure that I have uh, the medication that I need in order to um, feel good, feel okay, feel normal. Um, so with my stroke, I'm just beginning medication management and um, I don't even remember at this point if I shared about the migraine medication that the neurologist has been trying um, with me, and this recent dosage was not good at all. It was absolutely terrible, um, and I'm actually almost relieved to have the familiar pain that I was feeling over the past couple couple months rather than this extreme dizziness that I had been feeling um, last week. It, it's, it wasn't like vertigo dizziness. It was like, it was like my brain was like a TV set and it was just turning off. Like it was scary. It was scary. Um, so I stopped taking the medication and, and I feel back to my normal headache and, and pains in my head and stuff. And I know that sounds terrible, but it's more familiar to me. It's, it's something that I understand and I, um, it's, it's not, there, there isn't any uncertainty with that anymore. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> uh, and then the fifth thing I have for building a stable foundation is cognitive behavioral therapy. So that self-talk that I talk about so much um, and having resources, building resources around me in order to encourage positive self-talk. And um, so basically... A stable foundation is going to be built by removing as much uncertainty as possible, knowing what I'm doing every day, having people that I can reach out to, setting boundaries so I know how far I have set the limits of how far I can go and I know I'm not going to go any further. That's just my boundary I've set. Medication management, getting the 
the meds that, um, that I can take on a regular basis so I don't wake up in the morning and feel like, well, this is a whole new symptom. And then finally, that self-talk. So I can start consistently having some positive self-talk. It becomes a habit. So I want to talk more about boundaries. And boundaries, uh, they, help, they help me and they help those around me so that we can put my recovery first. Because the people around me, that's all they want right now. That's all they want is for me to put my recovery first. And so they can't set my boundaries. They're, you know, people have been very gentle with me asking, can you do this? Can you do that? Um, and what I hadn't done yet, really because I didn't understand my symptoms and why I was feeling so sick all the time and why I was having headaches. I didn't know what was triggering all of it. And as I've taken some more time to, to just focus on myself and my symptoms and recovery, I've been able to start identifying trends and see what it is that hurts and what doesn't. And, um, and so by just having that knowledge, I'm able to start communicating it to other people. But I can't, I need to be more assertive about communicating that. I, I should not wait for somebody to ask me um, about what my limitations are. Uh, but I, I should be able to, you know, say, if somebody says, well, can we all meet up? I, I should say from the get, from the start, I can do it, but these are my limitations. And I couldn't do that before because I didn't know what they were. So, um, protecting my recovery by establishing what I can do and what I can't do and what I should do and what I shouldn't do. Those are two different things. There are things that, uh, with my symptoms, this, this, um, neurological vision impairment, I am, I'm not blind. I can see, but it hurts. So I can, you know, look, if somebody says, oh, you know, John Doe sent you an email, I can go look at the email, but I'm going to pay the price. So that is the, what I should do and what I shouldn't do. Um, the things that I can't do are ride in the car with the, with my eyes open. That I literally cannot do. Um, or I will just, I don't know what would happen, honestly. I'm afraid to even think about it. I would maybe throw up. Uh, I would have extreme pain. So what I can do, what I can't do, and what I should do, and what I shouldn't do. So setting up these boundaries requires me to be, requires a certain level of determination and, again, acknowledgement that I deserve to be, to feel better, and I deserve to be happy. 
And what comes to mind when whenever I think about me deserving to be happy is when I was an alcohol an, an active alcoholic, I used to I truly believed that I didn't deserve to feel good. I don't know if it was, it doesn't matter where it came from, but I didn't think that I deserved to be happy. And so, you know, I thought happiness was for lucky people. And that's sad, but that's the honest truth. That's what I thought. You know, I saw other people in, in happy marriages. I saw other people at jobs they love and I didn't think that I you know I I pulled the the short straw <laughs> uh I got the short end of the stick and well, you know <laughs> and um and I didn't think that I deserved it and so that's where my eating disorder really started getting really bad was if I didn't eat it made me feel even worse. And so that hunger that I felt in my stomach was, uh, it, it would get to this almost painful kind of feeling, you know, like hunger pains. Um, right before hunger pains, it's just like this, uh, this, requirement that my body had to eat and I was denying it because I was punishing myself. I, I don't know why. It's I, I don't even understand it because I still do it. I still do it if I'm stressed out or if um, if I've upset somebody and there's nothing I can do about it. Like I've said sorry, but they're still mad at me or something like that. I will punish myself. I will not eat. And um, it's really strange that my mind does that to me. But I, I've said it before. Uh, some of us are sicker than others. And, and there are some things, you know, eating disorders. That's a whole nother thing that I haven't really talked about. I don't know a lot about it. Um, I just know that I have it and it happens every now and again, depending on what I'm experiencing in my life. But, um, that really was a way that I found to control what was going on around me, what was going on inside of me. I can control whether I'm putting food in my body or not. I can control my happiness through uh, denying myself of food. So I won't go too, too far down that road. But um, in order to set boundaries, we have to acknowledge that we do deserve it. We do deserve to be comfortable in this life and create our own recovery environment. My recovery environment right now is is so soothing, really. It's really nice. I mean, what I've got is, um, you know, I've got 
a warm, comfortable bed and um, with skylights. I can't really look at the skylights, but there's sun coming into the room. Um, so that's my bedroom and I've got a nice big space to do yoga in there. Um, I've got what was my office for work, but I've kind of converted it into my hobby room. So I've got my sewing projects in here with a mannequin and a sewing machine. And I've got a keyboard in here. Um, that's a new thing that I started looking into doing. I've got lots of, um, lots of books. Again, I can't really look too much at those, but, um, but they give me ideas by just having them be there. I can look at the table of contents, um, which I will pull one out every now and then and look at the table of contents. Um, and then we've got outside, I've got a nice deck outside where I can sit and I've got lots of gardening, small garden, but lots of flowers in it. I've chalked it full of, of flowers and plants. And so I spend time out there um, just clipping and watering and doing that kind of stuff, um, feeling like a part of nature. And then in the garage, I have a couple other projects that I have not really felt well enough to do. Those are a little... Uh, just because it's so hot outside, I don't, my head doesn't feel really well enough to do things like um, painting and stuff like that yet, but it will, I'm sure. Uh, so I've created this environment for myself, um, not to mention the schedule, the, my world famous schedule that's on the wall in my bedroom. I also have that that's always there for me to see and remind me of what it is that I can be doing at that at that any moment during during the day. Um, I've also got a, a living room downstairs where my boyfriend bought a projector for me to see if I am more easily able to watch a projector on the wall rather than a TV and we've got a Roku hooked up to it. I've used it twice for 15 minutes and it hasn't really been long enough for me to determine um, if it's too bad for me but um, it sure was nice to look at <laughs> to look at a picture on a wall because I haven't done that in two months so um, so how, how do we set boundaries? Um, I think the, it all comes down to naming that, naming that problem or feeling that you're having where you need to set the boundary. So for me, um, it's the pain in my head and I've, I've determined a lot of what causes the pain in my head. And so I've, I've given the, the problem a name, you know, it's the pain in my head. What is it that it's causing in everyday life that would look more like, um, what, you know, if you're setting a boundary with another person, um, they're hurting your feelings or something like, 
Um, for example, your mother always tells you that you need to lose weight, for example. Um, how does that make you feel when she says that? Well, it makes you feel shitty, I'm sure. So shitty can be a name <laughs> of the feeling. So um, whatever it is that you need to set your boundary for, name whatever that negative thing is, and mine is pain. And then two, communicate the, the limit, the problem, or the boundary. So, um, so for me, um, a good example um, is if somebody says they want to come visit me, um, my immediate thought is pain. That's what I think of when somebody says, they, can they come visit me? But instead of saying, the positive thing is that I don't say no anymore. I say pain uh, because I can have visitors, but I need to focus on the fact that it causes pain. So what are my boundaries? And so the boundaries, uh, they've kind of been evolving as I've been figuring out what bothers me and what doesn't. Um, but in the, over the past month, when somebody comes over here or say two people come over here, one of my boundaries is that I have to position myself in a way that everybody is on one side of the room so that I'm not looking, um, you know, across the room back and forth. So, um, so that's my boundary. My boundary is that if people are going to come over, they can't be running around the house. They, they, and, and honestly, it makes it a lot easier if they're just staying in one place or sitting in one place. And then moreover, if there's two people, they're both sitting near each other. So this is my this is my boundary. Um, and then the third thing is offer an alternative solution. So if it's not gonna work for me, if I can't have a visitor over, or there's five people that wanna come over all at once, that's gonna be too much for me. It's gonna hurt my head. So my alternative solution would be, um, maybe I could just have two of you come over um, today and then two of you come over another day or something like that. So um, I know that for me, I'm afraid sometimes to set my boundaries because I'm afraid I'm going to hurt somebody else's feelings. And setting boundaries doesn't have to be negative. Like I said at the beginning, Boundaries always seem to be like a negative concept to me, and it's, and it's not at all. It's, it's a positive thing. It's something that is what all human beings should do, and unfortunately, not many human beings do it. So setting boundaries, we can be kind enough to respect other people's feelings but strong enough to be assertive that, that this is a boundary and, and it's not going to change, you know, it's, uh, 
It's a stake in the ground and it's not going to move. We need to be able to accept that someone else may not understand or agree with our boundaries. And um, I don't know if I have faced that or not because I think I have already surpassed that point where I'm like, you know, my head hurts too bad to do X, Y, Z. And I, if somebody else doesn't understand that, I honestly right now don't have the energy to give a shit. You know what I mean? So, um, but I can, I can relate to the, the idea that, you know, in the past I have said that I, you know, somebody asked me to do something, I say I can't do that, not because I'm in recovery, but something else years ago or something. Um, and I would say, no, I really, I really can't do that. And I've had people come back and, and push me um, to do it. And that's uncomfortable. So we have to have some confidence in the decision that we've made to, to set those boundaries. And I, I really feel that that confidence is lacking when I'm setting a personal boundary. But when I'm setting a professional boundary, oh, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm perfect at it. I'm very successful at it. You know, I don't, I feel like I, uh, keep other people's feelings in mind. Um, I say things respectfully, but assertively. So it's like, I have this, this different, um, perspective or view of my own boundaries. Um, so I need to clearly communicate what it is that I want from other people and what I, what I need. In my situation, I often blow off my condition and that's where my boyfriend comes in and reminds me of some of these boundaries that sometimes I, I ignore myself. So, um, another, another thing that I was thinking about regarding this pushback, um, if you set a boundary and somebody is pushing back and saying, oh, come on, you can do it. How about, how about like, if somebody says, I'll come, do you want to go to lunch? And I say, mm, no, I'm really not feeling very well. I can't do that today. I offer, how about, um, how about next week instead? So that's my alternative. If they come back to me and say, oh, are you sure I'll come pick you up? Um, we'll just go right by your house. Will that be better? Um, I would get, I get a little agitated right away that somebody is pushing back with me. Because I've said, I can't do it. And I want somebody to just say, okay, I understand. 
Um, but that doesn't always happen. And sometimes when I start getting agitated with the other person, I'm thinking that they don't have my best interests at heart. And I have to be reminded, and my boss, my boss reminds me of this every now and then, that I need to assume that everyone is doing their best and that everyone's motives are good. Because I don't always do that. I, I sometimes think that somebody is doing this to hurt me. You know what I mean? It just tends to be kind of a default reaction. So I have to really actively remind myself that everyone is doing their best and everyone has, uh, everyone's motives are good. Now, if they prove me wrong, that's fine. If they prove me wrong, then I can turn into bitchy Rachel. But, but I need to default to other people have good intentions and they do have my uh, best interests at heart. So um, being assertive and being compassionate about it. I don't have to be assertive in a nasty way. I can be assertive with compassion, compassion for myself, you know, um, explain it. Maybe they don't understand uh, what I'm going through. So I can, with compassion and, um, and understanding what their, you know, maybe what their perspective is because they haven't been living in my head for the past two months and explain to them what is going on and why I can't do it. And they'd probably be very grateful for me letting them into some of that um, private information. So talking about stability, I just wanted to kind of um, swing back around to stability because what I have, where I have found my stability in recovery, I've mentioned is the steps of my sobriety program and the steps of my sobriety program I've been able to apply in a lot of ways to my stroke recovery um, but one of the one of the key things that I can do is pause I talk about pausing all the time but really pausing and getting really quiet and sometimes it takes a few minutes to to have all of that mental activity quiet down so that you can listen to yourself and listen to what it is you're feeling and give it a name and once you're able to do that then you can think well Maybe there's a boundary that I could have set in order to not feel this way. Um, and so a lot of times that, that ability to, to quiet down my mental activity and listen through pausing is, comes from trying to build a stronger sense of spirituality and I, I 
believe that spirituality and religion are two very different things. And spirituality, in my mind, is it's an individually focused practice of finding serenity. And my sobriety program is a spiritual program for me. Um, I've talked about my higher power. I've talked about how it is a combination of all these things outside of myself, my um, loved ones who are here and who have passed, and um, the fellowship, some uh, nature in some ways is part of my higher power. And all of this is my own personal conception of what my higher power is. It is all of the things that I can call upon at any given moment in time to ground myself, to ground me, whether it's my children, it's my boyfriend, it's looking at a picture of my grandparents, it's calling my brother, you know, it's sending flowers to my mom. All of these things are to what, what I call my higher power. And yes, it does include my own concept of God, but probably out of all of the pieces of my higher power, God is the one I understand the least. And um, in the program, they say, let's see if I get this right, your own understanding of God. And they, some people say your own not, not understanding of God or something like that, meaning that we don't ever fully understand some people, me included, don't always, don't uh, fully understand my own concept of God. And I don't, I've become comfortable with the fact that I don't have to. I can make up whatever I want to be this God thing for me. Um, but I really feel a lot more comfortable calling all of it my higher power. And really, it's everything outside of myself. Because if I do things my way, it gets me drunk and it gets me living two years of my life in utter pain in my head. And so I rely on, I learn to rely on those things outside of myself. And it's a, it's so it's spiritual for me. It's a personal experience and, um, Spirituality to me is the pursuit of understanding freedom, like freedom from being inwardly focused, freedom from addiction, freedom from self. It's understanding my role among other human beings that I'm in a society of human beings and learning how to live and how to behave 
among all these human beings, learning how to not only love and respect other people, um, understand them to be understood, but to love and respect myself in every season of my life. And, um, and it doesn't have to be something that we already know how to do. I don't know how to do it. I'm just practicing. And every day I seem to get a little better at feeling stable because I keep practicing these ideas and talking through them and, um, and learning from others. And, um, and I just try to remain willing each day to, to learn, to be a student, to be a student. So that's what I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And please follow and share. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.